Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 284. This episode of Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Coming off of the heels of UFC Vegas 68, which is in the middle of the night, to a card in Western Australia, a pay per view, a champ versus champ, one versus two, pound for pound. Great main event that we've got this week. Uh, yeah, we'll just kind of quickly recap last week. I mean, I had way too much invested in Jekka Saragi. That was a terrible bet. Uh, Blagoy played out kind of similarly to what I thought. Uh, Tybura obviously controlled him down the stretch. Uh, lost money on that. Thankfully, Cody gave me some half-decent uh, underdogs, which uh, lessened the damage on my front. How was your week, Cody? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't terrible. I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, so knock on one, just keep the small gains going. But we've hit our top three tickets on, like, our, our top three lines three weeks in a row, right? So, I mean, the top ticket, which is where, you know, got to break even, got to hit that. We've been good there. And then, then the second line and the third line. So, plus money has been good. Bellator, in terms of parlays, not great. But, yeah, you're right, man. Jalon Bates came through. Uh, Lorenz Larkin came through. Uh, Grant Neal came through. Dog City, man. So, I'm pretty happy with the results. And of course, you're jumping from like a mid-level UFC card, a low-level UFC card, and a really nice Bellator card to a UFC pay-per-view. So this is really built on one fight. You don't see very often. You got the pound-for-pound pound best guy in the sport versus the second pound-for-pound pound best guy in the sport. How often do you see that? I think it's the second time in UFC history. Other times being John Jones, Daniel Cormier. And whoever said Daniel Cormier was the second best pound-for-pound pound guy? Anyways, doesn't matter. This is a real McCoy fight. This is the real deal. The rest of the card, mostly just Australian guys, mostly New Zealand guys. Going to be action-packed, going to be fun, but I think the UFC knows what they're doing. People want to pay to see this one fight. The rest of it, they don't care. So if we can make it a profitable card, a money-making card, of course we'll be happy with that. But the entertainment, I think it'll be right up there. And Ali Asayev dug deep to secure a draw. Oh. That one helped too. Oh. That one helped too. Yeah. I mean, I, I still yeah, lost yeah, yeah. A, a unit on... MMA last weekend, but Bellator bailed me out. It would have been a pretty bad night. The only the only UFC bet I had coming through, which I wish I had put more on, but you know it's always hindsight twenty twenty. Is uh, Rinya Nakamura inside the distance minus one twenty five when I got it? I mean, I should have just unloaded the clip on that and say la vie, live and learn. We move on. You, you know, the, you know the one that got me was that we had uh, Duho Choi in the main event versus Nakamura. Nakamura steamrolls. Duho Choi should have won. Okay, I, I actually thought he won all three rounds, but they somehow scored at twenty nine twenty eight, and he loses a point on like the cheekiest headbutt. So, mm. so right there, I lose a ton of value from losing my minus one ninety Duho Choi. Then we got Ty, uh, Tyra rolls, Spivak rolls, Tybura won. It didn't roll, but he won. He did what he had to do. And then uh, Kim's fight got canceled against Mandy Bum, right? So it was like I lost Choi, I lost Bum. It wasn't as good as it could have been, Paul. So hopefully we don't get any crazy. I mean, listen, I'll take no contests. I'll take draws. It's not a loss, but it could be a lot better, right? Yeah, I feel like this card looks like a Cody Saftig card. Like, you know, in terms of your style, how I imagine, how I'm guessing. Colt, we, we don't talk about this stuff before we get on here. But how I'm guessing you're approaching this card, like... It looks like a card that you'll probably do pretty well on. But uh, 
We will find out on Saturday night. All right, main event. It's the it's the fight that everyone's here for. Islam Makachev taking on Alexander the Great Volkanovsky minus four hundred for Islam Makachev. Volk can be had for plus three hundred. I'm gonna keep my little breakdown really short and sweet here. I love Volkanovsky. I think this is a great little legacy fight for him. I think he's biting off quite a bit more than he can chew. Got taken down twice by Brian Ortega. Um, lucky to get out of, of the choke against Brian Ortega. I believe in what round three or whatever. Uh, I was on Charles Oliveira against Islam Makachev last time out. And I mean, his hands have improved. There's some people out there talking about like, he's like the reincarnation of Floyd Mayweather or something like that. We're not, we're not quite there, but like he's got half decent hands and obviously, People are always defending the takedown, so he's able to unleash those hands without any sort of recourse coming back. The problem for Volkanovski trying to win this fight is he's never really been a big-time power puncher, and I think that's how he's got to win this fight. He's going to have to wing some overhand rights, maybe one clips Makachev, but I think way more often than not, 80% of the time, something like that. Makachev's going to take him down, take him down at will, and then it's a matter of how long Volkanovski can hang around. Um whether he gets subbed, whether he gets mounted and, and uh, TKO'd or, I mean, even at range, like, Makachev is going to have, he's going to have some advantages. But, I mean, Makachev's going to be forcing this guy up against the cage and, uh, and once he's up o- over there, I mean, it's just a matter of time before you're on your back. And when you're on, a, on your back against these kind of guys, it doesn't last very long. I took some uh, Makachev inside the distance. Um, I got at one book, it was minus 105. At another book, it was minus 110. The books that I wanted to actually, you know, make one bet on weren't allowing enough on it, and their prices were way, way higher. So that's where my money is on the main event. I it's only one of two bets that I have so far uh, this week. I just think 25 minutes over the course of time, eventually Makachev's going to find the finish here. So that's my breakdown. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's just an easy hedge-out opportunity in the main event. You've got a way too big of a favorite in Islam Makachev. I'm not disagreeing with any of your points, and I'm not disagreeing that he probably wins the fight and should be the favorite. But he's a 5-1 to one favorite. He's a massive favorite over one of the pound-for-pound pound best guys in Alexander Volkanovsky. You mentioned Volkanovsky's best win path, probably just landing one of those big overhand rights, trying to capitalize like an Adriano Martins did 10 years ago, clip him with something and put him away. But... I honestly think that the path to victory is if you can keep this fight standing and prolong it, get it into those later rounds, outwork them. thing with Islam Makachev is he's awesome with the takedowns, but you've not seen anybody give him really any resistance over 25, and you've not seen anybody, you know, add up these striking numbers. He himself is a low-volume guy. How many times has he made it into the third round? All right, well, let's say his fight with Armin Sarukian. It goes 15 minutes. He lands 14. 14 significant strikes. His fight with Davi Ramos, it went 15 minutes. He landed 43. His fight with Drew Dober made it into the third round. He had landed 15 significant strikes mid uh, early into the sec- uh, the third round. Sorry, Thiago Moises 61. That one's midway through the fourth round. So he's a low volume guy. Volkanovski, he's capable of landing hundreds of strikes. It's similar to Alexander Volkanovski versus. You know, uh, uh, Max Holloway, the Max Holloway rematch in particular, right? Is that uh, people were like, oh, Holloway beat him, Holloway beat him. But the longer the fight went, those leg kicks start adding up. The volume starts adding up. His striking is adding up. He's got a hometown crowd behind him that are hot for him. He just needs to continuously work. Thing is, though, yeah, I don't know if he's just going to not get taken down and get drubbed. 
And as much as people think he's a special talent, we all thought Israel Adesanya might be a special talent. And then he tried to jump up a weight class. And there's a reason why there's weight classes. Mm-hmm. Jan Blachowicz, people are going to hate me for saying this, is a mid-level guy. But a mid-level 205-er can beat one of the best middleweights on the planet. I think Volkanovski, for as special as he is, at the end of the day, he's giving us some serious size here to Makachev. And once the fight does hit the ground, yet Makachev might just wreck him. But I think Volkanovski poses problems that none of these guys, uh, these other guys ever did. Thiago Moises, no physicality. Uh, Dan Hooker, zero physicality. Bobby Green, not known for his ground game. Charles Oliveira, yeah, I love Charles Oliveira. We all love him. I was actually picking him. Submission, best submission guy in the UFC. Most submissions in UFC history. But like durability is an issue for the guy. Okay, He had been dropped twice by Chandler. He had been dropped twice by Justin Gaethje. He gets pretty much dropped by everything that hits him that's stiff. Uh, love him, fan favorite, horse racing guy, my guy. But yeah, at the end of the day, like it's a very winnable fight for Makachev. Volkanovski, you're gonna have to kill him, right? He's gonna be there. And you mentioned getting out of Brian Ortega's submissions, like it was no big deal, dude. Brian Ortega is one of the best submission guys in the UFC. I didn't say. And it not was only no that, he's got two moves. <laughs> he's got two moves. About? Okay, they call him T City because <laughs> of his triangle choke, which Volkanovski escaped. And he's got that nasty guillotine choke, like Ortega's guillotine's been money in the UFC. Volkanovski got out of that as well. So, again, you're going to have to really go a hard, hard fight with him. And I think he could, you know, show you some cracks in Makachev's game. So, I'm picking Islam Makachev. But I think the best path here is build parlays maybe around Makachev. And then when it gets down to the main event, don't be too proud to just throw a couple bucks on Volkanovski at these odds because they're wide. All right, let's move on. We've got Yair Rodriguez taking on Josh Emmett. Yair Rodriguez is a minus 160 favorite. Josh Emmett can be had for plus 140 who you got here yeah it's the tale of like what gr rodriguez is going to show up this is the guy that at one time was a mega prospect one of the better prospects on the roster wins tough latin america sky's the limit for him and then of course frankie edgar ruins everyone's parade by showing he didn't really have a ground game he hasn't been super active since like he's had some injuries he's had some long layoffs he's had some contract disputes the ufc briefly caught him they re-signed him they thrown in some big fights he had the no contest with Jeremy Stevens. All of it's just kind of slowed him down, I think. But then that Max Holloway fight, to me, that was his coming out party, right? I thought this guy's got lackluster cardio. He's going to fade. His boxing is way too loopy. Max Holloway is going to absolutely go in there and have his way with him. But he looked way better, man. His cardio looked solid. It got better as the fight went on. His kicking game has always been good, his long-range kicking. But his ability to just continuously throw out those kicks, he's going to rack up damage. He's going to rack up volume. He's going to rack up points. It's all good stuff for him. The last fight with Brian Ortega, very unfortunate uh, finish. I can't really take too much away from it. But I go back to that Max Holloway fight and say, this kid was always young and always a great prospect. Moved around gyms, had contract disputes. But when he's on, he's a great talent. And there's no disrespect to Josh Emmett. The guy's done an excellent job at blowing the bank on me a few times. Like, I'd never have a ton of faith in him. He goes out and delivers. It's that... I can't necessarily say I think he's winning these split decisions or these decisions. I think they should go the other way. He does get them. He's a little bit older. He's got great wrestling, but does not use it offensively. So why not take down Yair Rodriguez? Why not try to tire him out? Because I think Emmett tries to pace himself. He tries to wait for that one big shot. And whereas that one big shot presents itself in almost every fight, he wobbles a guy in pretty much every fight. I think he's like the UFC knockdown leader for the division. Um, the knockdowns usually steal him around, but against Yair, loopy, sure, but tough Mexican chin on him, and if you don't put him away, I think the volume for him eventually maybe peels away and takes over, so this is a tough co-main event. I don't usually have a ton of faith on Yair Rodriguez, and at minus 175, I'm not particularly interested. 
Emmett has a way of keeping all of his fights close, all of his fights competitive. He has the natural power advantage. He has the wrestling advantage. He's a savvy veteran of the game. They'll have a good game plan put together. He's a live underdog in every regard here. He's just not my kind of guy. You know, I think he's going to get exposed when the, when the going gets tough. And in this particular spot, um, I just think, yeah, Rodriguez pulls out with it. Yeah, I, I'm not going to really push back all that much on it. I was considering Emmett, but like I think this line is pretty pretty accurate, to be perfectly honest. Slight power advantage to Josh Emmett. You know, flashy techniques are coming from Yair Rodriguez. Durability is sided with Rodriguez here. I expect a close competitive fight, um, and I'll ever so slightly think that Yair Rodriguez edges them out on volume, but at minus 160, I, I mean, I think that the books have this one pretty correct. I'm not really going to be sinking any money into it. We've got Jack Della Maddalena taking on Randy Rudeboy Brown. Minus 300 for Jack Della, plus 250 for Randy Brown, who you got? Yeah, this is the kind of spot that I jump in uh, pretty solid. Minus 300, it's not the greatest value, but again, if you're going to make some parlays, and I think it's just going to add to it, I really like Jack Della. And keep in mind, I bet against him on his Contender Series debut against Angelusa. Didn't really know much about him. How are you going to transition from the Australian regional scene over to fighting in Las Vegas? And Dana White's there for the first time. I was so unbelievably impressed with, with what I saw when he was on the Contender Series. Just volume for days. Excellent boxing technique. And rips the body. The body is underutilized shot. Everyone's trying to line up that big haymaker. But work the body. Take the sails out of him. All of a sudden, the guy's not moving as well. All of a sudden, the guy's hands are dropping. Then you hit him with the kill shot. And Jack seemed to me like young, young-ish, not super young, but solid prospect, great volume, good cardio. And if you can go in there, continuously be the aggressor, use those fast combinations, rip the guy, he's going to cause a lot of damage. If they give him guys with kind of less durability or guys that he can back up and work the body, he's going to have a ton of success. So UFC debut against Pete Rodriguez. This one's a foregone conclusion walk in the park. What do you want? But, but he makes it look that way, right? He goes out, he knocks out P. Rodriguez, who was undefeated at the time, makes it look easy. He gets Ramazan Amiv. Ramazan Amiv is uh, is, is Azerbaijanian wet blanket, man. This guy just smothers dudes up against the cage. He's pretty much always in decisions. They're not very pretty for the most part. And again, Jack just rips up, knocks him out. It's a solid enough victory. Next time out, Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts got durability issues. You and I both on Jack Della very solid there. Goes out there, works the body, works the body, causes Dane to react, and then and then get, it knocks him out, takes him out of there. So Jack is progressively getting better, and again, he's going to have a lot of success until they match him up against one of these smothering wrestlers, smothering grapplers. And it's no disrespect to Randy Brown, because here's a guy that started out from uh, being on Dana White's looking for a fighter, right? Like, he, he fought on the regional scene in front of Dana on one of these goofy little fight path shows, makes it to the UFC, had a pretty meh run all of his wins but you know a lot of his wins were kind of these lower level guys that would fan out of the ufc a short time after but i mean you guys made a lot of a lot of progress to his game four or five winning streak gotten a lot better uses that length uses that reach um but you've seen the chaos williams fight a guy with solid power that is not going to just back up to randy brown not let him play that range game he's going to struggle and jack's going to be in his face not only that, the ideal frame for MMA, I think, is Randy Brown's, right? You're big, you're tall, John Jones. You can use that length. You can use that leverage. But the body's there for the taking. And I think Jack Dell is going to press him up against the cage, back him up, work the body, get him to drop his hands, outwork him, outvolume him, take the cake. So minus 300, again, it's not a price tag I like by any stretch of the imagination. But I really like this kid. And I think stylistically, matches up quite good against Randy Brown. Yeah, I can't get on board with Randy Brown. 
just like after, I mean, I faded him against Trinaldo. That fight was razor close. Um, Randy Brown got the decision, but like a lot of people were were split on that. And then yeah, very very hittable in a lot of his other in a lot of his other fights. Jared Gooden hit him eighty one times. Chaos Williams hit him seventy five times. Like got knocked out by by Vicente Luque, which is a which was a very very credible win, but got knocked down twice. Um, I think Jack Della is a rightful favorite in this spot. Uh, I don't really play minus three hundreds in these types of positions inside the distance. Jack Della. Yeah, that's minus. Yeah, that's already minus money there. Uh, it's probably a fight that I just avoid from a betting perspective, but I'm with you. I'll pick uh, Jack Della Madalena. Moving on down, we got uh, Justin Taffa taking on Parker Porter. Minus 125 Taffa, plus 105 for Porter. Low-level heavyweight fight. A fight that I I considered a little bit earlier in the week. I think there was like plus 140s out there on Parker Porter. And then I said to myself, you know what? Do I really want to sink? I, I mean, you just lost money on Jekka Saragi. I'm like, low-level MMA fighters. Do I really want to be sinking big money into these guys? Not really. I can see the argument for Porter when he's not, you know, getting taken down and absolutely mauled like he did against Jailton Almeida. Guy throws up some half decent volume over the course of fifteen over the course of fifteen minutes. He probably out volumes uh, Justin Taffa. Fair, I understand the line movement, all of that. The only spot I've been considering, I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger, is Porter by decision, which I see out there for plus three fifty. I think this is a low level, sloppy heavyweight fight. Probably goes fifteen minutes. If there is a finish, it's probably on the Taffa side. Um, so I'll ever so slightly lean towards Parker Porter plus one Oh five. I'm not interested in that. Um, maybe, maybe I get to the, to the decision interested to hear what you have to say though. Yeah. It was the quintessential dogger pass for me and the plus money on Parker Porter was uh, what I ended up going with. The justification here is that with Justin Toffin, just super one dimensional, man, he can kickbox and that's about it. Right. He's got buddies, Tyson Pedro and Mark Hunt and, you know, some, some famous Samoan fighters, that have fought in the UFC. Uh, for that reason, they're giving him his crack. But right from the get-go, he's no good. They allowed this guy to make his UFC debut on a pay-per-view. It was a pay-per-view main card. And he loses to Jorgen DeCastro. And would you have it, his second fight in the UFC was also a pay-per-view main card. I don't know what the love for Justin Toffa is, but he's just really not all that good. We know that he's a striker, but he's kind of a low-volume guy. He's got heavy kickboxing. His brother's a famous kickboxer. But if he doesn't hit you with that 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 big power, if he doesn't stun you and knock you out early, I don't know that there's a prolonged attack down the stretch. Two fights back against Jared Vandera. Jared Vandera, not very good, right? Pretty much has beaten nobody in the UFC. But if, if he's got, like, one thing, he's kind of, like, just got this Shrek-like physique to him, and he's willing to come forward and has some decent volume if you allow him to get going. Justin Toffett didn't really have an answer for him. Allowed himself to get um, worked over the course of the fight. The next fight was against Harry Hunsucker, so he, knock, he knocks out Harry Hunsucker. Okay, all right, solid enough. Hunsucker then went down to 205 and lost uh, his 205 debut. So I, I don't know that Justin Toff has made a ton of improvements, but his kickboxing, even though that's his best weapon, that's his creme de la creme, it, he got outworked by Jared Vanderell. It was a terrible look, right? He got knocked out by Jorgen DeCastro by running face forward into a counter hook. Like, I don't think his striking is all that good. The wrestling... Well, now you really don't know because none of these guys have really tried to take him down. He shows a 100% takedown defense because 
Jorgen didn't t- 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 take him down. Juan, the fight's done so fast, nothing gets going. Carlos Felipe, not a wrestler. Jared Vandero was comfortable just striking with him. Harry Hunsucker, the fight's done within two minutes. So, yeah, I think with Parker Porter, he's got multiple avenues here. One, use the wrestling. Take him down. Once you get him down, I don't think he's got a great get-up game. I don't think he's got you know ability to sweep, and I don't think he's going to throw up any submissions. So just getting the takedown is going to chew away the clock, right? And second of all, if you can't get the takedown, march forward in the pocket. Use your volume. Because like the only good things about Parker Porter is that he's super heavy when he does get top position, right? He's got those giant legs on him. If you think that uh, that Devin Clark's got big legs on him, wait till you see Parker Porter, man, because he's a big old heavyweight, 265 pounds. They call him Porker for a reason, right? Not just because Parker Porter mixed together spells Porker, but he's got a hell of a physique on him. He's built like a bowling ball. As a result, hard to get up, hard to get off of you if he does get up. But his next thing is volume. Like, he's willing to engage. This fight with Josh Parisian does get two takedowns in that spot against another 265-pound guy, but lands 126 significant strikes. The next fight against Chase Sherman gets a takedown against Chase Sherman, big, mobile heavyweight, but lands 149 significant strikes. Looked like absolute trash against Alan Bodo, like really, really bad, uh, until he got his wrestling going. And then once he was able to kind of slow him down and get some takedowns, he's able to win. So he's got a path to victory here. He's got an avenue to win. He's fighting in enemy territory, fair. They've given him a pretty reasonable matchup. And even though it's plus 105, it's basically even money. Like there, there's enough to just say dog or pass, take the plus money side, which is Parker Porter. So I would take Porter to, to drub on what you were saying, probably Parker Porter by decision. But you know how 265-pound heavyweights be. One guy gets tired, the other guy gets mount. Yeah, you know, I, I mm-hmm. can see this thing ending at some point as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely well well within play. You just kind of look at the wins that he has had in the UFC. It's very, very low level, which Taffa fits right into the mold. But yeah, Bodo, Sherman, and Josh Parisian. I mean, you need... To be having Porker's manager because uh, that guy is finding him some winnable fights. Uh, good on him. Tyson Pedro. Tyson Pedro's manager is must be the GOAT because yep, these we'll matchups are ridiculous. Yeah, he's just getting softball. Bringing back guys from the past. We'll get to that fight in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Porker by decision plus 360. It's like it, there's enough of a disparity there between his money line and and his decision prop, which is how he's won his fights, at least in the UFC, that... I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably going to dabble. Um, don't have too many too many spots across this card that I really love, so got to get in. Maybe I don't have to get in, but I will probably end up getting in. All right, we got Jimmy the Brute Crute taking on Alonzo Menafield. Crute minus 190, Menafield plus 165. Who you got here? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jimmy Crute, but basically it's a lot of narrative. Like when he came to the UFC at age 23 on the regional scene, he mostly, for the most part, smoke guys out of the water it was like well what do you really know about him but in terms of what they're saying in the gym this guy's like the next great prospect right S- slam and sammy greco is his uh k1 kickboxing coach guy raves about him his jiu-jitsu coach they're talking great things about him this guy's got good grappling he's got solid striking great cardio cardio for days debuts in the ufc <clears throat> against uh sorry paul craig and he submitted paul craig in like the worst fight going like it's a terrible terrible fight but he submitted Paul Craig. Like, how many guys can can go out there and say that? And he's 23 years old. Like, this kid could be a good prospect. Beats Sam Alvey the next time out, knocks him out. That was before Sam Alvey lost all of his uh, durability. So a knockout win over Sam Alvey and a submission win over Paul Craig, this kid's going to fit in well. The Misha Cherkinoff fight, he gets uh, submitted with a Peruvian necktie, but almost TKOs him. He's, like, having some success in that fight. You can see where there's pockets where he's going to be good. 
but his body not able to keep up with him. What I would say is that at 23, being that good already, being that, you know, he's sloppy when he's in there, but to have that many skills and that many facets of MMA, he probably trains like a madman. He's probably been training for a long time. So his body just starts to break down. The fight with Anthony Smith, <coughs> his knee's done, dude. He blows his knee out. He hops around on it. They should have just thrown in the towel. Instead, the kid's got a warrior spirit, heart of a lion. So he fights through it. He fights through it to the best of his ability. But his knee is severely compromised. The next fight, they throw him in there with Jamal Hill, the current UFC champion. And the second Jamal Hill hits him, it's like he buckles. Like, the, like almost as if the knee goes again. So he's now taking time off. He's got his knee reconstructed. His last two fights are realistically against the current champion and a, a current top five guy, former UFC title challenger in Anthony Smith. He's fought in great guys. He has great skills, and he's still only 26 years old. It's what has he been doing in the time away? How good is the knee going to hold up now that it's been reconstructed, now that you've been able to put in some training camps, now that you've been able to kind of test it a little bit? Because this is a big spot, right? Uh, one thing that I would say that I do not like about Jimmy Crude is he's super hittable. His durability might be in, in question. And Alonzo Menafield, not very good. But here's the thing about him. He hits huge. He swangs and bangs. And his takedown defense is actually pretty decent on paper. So if Jimmy Crew can't take him down, and that is a, that is a possibility, Crew doesn't get no takedowns on him, is he going to be able to box up Menafield for 15 minutes? Because Menafield will just hold his ground, throw some big shots. Crew will make a mistake at some point. He'll hit him. And when he hits him, there's a good chance he's going to hurt him. So... Crute's another guy that I would like to play, but at minus 190, I feel like there's a live potential here for Alonzo Menafield to spring the upset on this kid who's been away for a while, who's had a massive injury, who's had a couple bad setbacks. Where is he at? We don't know. So betting on him is a lot of speculation. Yeah, I, I took uh, Menafield plus 180 on the money line. I, I know people are going to be like, oh, it's he's it's like knockout or bust. And she's like, yeah, he's like... His knockout price is like plus 225, plus 250 if you shop around a little bit. It's like I wasn't willing to get greedy if if just if this fight just happens to play out really, really slow and um, and Menafield gets like off the better uh, strikes on the feet. Yeah, I'm not I, I'm a little bit worried about Crude off of the long layoff and I think he's a little bit fragile. I mean, if this fight gets out of round one, we know Menafield, he slows down, his gas tank isn't great. Um, totally prepared to lose, but at the price tag of plus 180, I uh, snapped up a little bit of men of field. Um, I'm just not so convinced that Jimmy Crute's just going to be able to take him down, take him down at will, and uh, and control him down there. And we've seen like a half-decent submission game from men of field when he does get, t- get taken down there. Um, big body, strong guy. I think it's a lot easier said than done, and at the price tag, I was willing to take a shot on Alonzo men of field. Um, yeah, that's really all I got to say about that one. We got Tyson Pedro taking on Modestus Bukowskis, the returning Bukowskis. Uh, men of, or, uh, Tyson Pedro is a minus 240 favorite. Bukowskis can be had for plus 200. I mean, you were talking about earlier about the uh, the manager for Tyson Pedro being the best manager. I don't know who it is, but like this guy, what, disappears from MMA. Um, back in 2018, reemerges. He gets the Ike Villanueva treatment, followed by the Harry Hunsucker treatment, followed by Modestus Bukalkis, who was in the UFC, uh, went off to the regional scene after having his knee absolutely obliterated by Khalil Roundtree, and then returns here um, on relatively short notice for this fight. Like, yeah, find someone who looks at you the way that. 
Tyson Pedro's manager looks at him and how he works for him and finds these fights for him. Um, it gets actually better than that, though, dude. So after they gave him the Shogun fight, which he lost, but it was like, come on, this is a softball layup from the UFC high profile. They booked him against Vinicius Moreira. Yes, the Vinicius Moreira. And Pedro was the one that pulled out. Then the guy gets in the fight. Dope. Then he gets him. Dope. Then he actually got him a fight with Ming Yang Zhang from UFC's Road to Contender series. <laughs> oh, my God. How does this look? Why is Tyson Pedro fighting Ming Yang Zhang? Zhang's out. Bukaukas will actually give him a better fight. But all the same, you got a guy that washed out of the UFC pretty quickly. Has won a couple fights for Cade Warriors, got his title back. But he's taking this fight on relatively short notice. And I, I don't know that I think he matches up very good against Tyson. So, uh, yeah, the UFC's, um, they, they like making Tyson Pedro the big favorites in fights. Um, do you have like, so I, I guess you're just picking Pedro. Like, I don't really have much to say about it. I, I don't love betting him at minus 240. He's not exactly a great wrestler. He's got decent submission skills, but like he actually hasn't landed. If uh, UFC stats is correct. Yeah. He's never actually landed a takedown, which is kind of crazy considering like he likes to lean on some of his submission skills. Yeah, I mean, he probably boxes him up, lands lands a big shot, but at minus 240, it's just like, I got to be really, really sure of this guy. And, like, he's been fighting really, really low-level guys that's like, I'm not so sure about him. Maybe Modestus Bukalkis can can pull, pull a hat out of his... Pull a hat out of his bag. Is that the saying? Pull a rabbit, rabbit out, out of his hat. hat. Thank you, producer Megan. And, uh, and pull one out here. I mean, minus 240, I'm just not... I'm not on board. I'll pick Pedro for the purposes of picking, but like I, I, I think this guy's a fraud. He hasn't really been tested, and they're still not really testing him. Uh, but I'm not going to be getting caught with my hand in the cookie jar on Tyson Pedro. Yeah, well, dude, I can't disagree with you. If you look at his three losses in the UFC against Ilir Latifi, his first one, he was a minus 140 favorite. Against Ovin St. Pru, he was a minus 150 favorite. And against Shogun Hua, he was a minus 565 favorite, right? So, yeah, when he loses, he's a guy that's going to go out there and probably shit in the apple pie. And I would say that that's certainly a possibility here. The reason why I'm going to end up going with him, again, it's a lot of narrative, a lot of speculation, is that here's a guy that when he fought Shogun Hula, he was 27 years old, so he was still young. Was he talented? Sure, but did he have a long way to go? Yeah, but they've thrust it into the spotlight. He's in these big spots, these big money fights. He injures, injures his knee, and the time off, I think, has done him a lot of good. He's been able to focus on different areas of his game, develop, mature. And the version of Tyson Pedro that's come back four years later, pretty good, man. Against Ike Villanueva, he just smoked him out of there in a minute. And against Harry Hunsucker, he smokes him out of there in a minute. Expected. Not very impressive, but his striking doesn't look half bad. Now, if you remember him back in like the Paul Craig days, back in like when he was, you know, considered a decent enough prospect, he's decent grappling. And I think his grappling's probably gotten a whole lot better as well. So the thing with Bakaukas is that he throws everything in like no combination work, one and done, one and done. It's like a, it's like a jab. It might be a jab right hand, but nothing more than a one-two. He's kind of like stationary, waits for you to attack him. He's got a karate black belt. He comes from a karate background. He's continuously waiting for you to attack him. So I think Pedro would just be able to stay to the outside, have success attacking, but then eventually move forward, be aggressive, push him back, try to get him to the ground. And if he gets him to the ground, I, I got a feeling that Pedro's ground game, it was better than Bacocas' ground game from what you saw from it four or five years ago. I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably getting a lot better. Remember that Saperbeck-Safra fight was just garbage. Like He just grabbed Saperbeck's arm with like a sweet little... Kazushi Sakuraba, like Kimura Lock, it was like, you know, effortless. The guy's 
grappling's not bad. And I think the time off allowed him to focus on that. We haven't seen it yet, but I'm, that's what I'm going with. Now, do I want to pay minus 240 for this? I think he's gotten better on the ground. No, he's fighting at home. I think he is going to be my official pick. Just not one that I, I feel great about. All right, we got Joshua Kulabau taking on Melsic Bagdasarian. Minus 110, straight pick him, homie. Who do you got? Yeah, I was hoping to get Josh Kulabau at dog money because I can make a good case for him as the underdog. But, yeah, I don't know. I just don't like him. I don't like him personally. I got a feeling that he could go out there and, you know, lay an egg for me. But with Melsic Bagdasarian, I think he's there for the taking, man. 31 years old. He's not like a young prospect by no stretch, but he focused predominantly on on kickboxing. And he wasn't a world-class kickboxer. He was just a good kickboxer. When you saw him in the contender series against Dennis Bazooka, he wins. He doesn't even get a contract. It was like a tough competitive fight versus a kid that had five pro fights and was very young in his career. He didn't look spectacular. He didn't get signed. So they rebook him against um, Colin Anglin. And he kills Colin Anglin. Go ahead and check out Colin Anglin. I don't think he's won a fight since. He's like on like a five-fight losing streak, I think. So the wins aren't great. L- looked okay against a very young green prospect in Dennis and then smokes out a guy in Co- uh, Colin Anglin that should have been there in the first place. And then since then, it's just been injuries. Like they booked him versus TJ Laramie, got canceled. He got booked against. He fought Bruno Souza, you know, decent fight. Got booked against TJ again, canceled. Gets booked against Joannis and Brito, canceled. So what do we know about him? Okay, well, we know he can strike. Cardio's okay. Grappling, maybe just okay. But he's out of Glendale, right? He's he's one of Edmund's guys. And I just got a nagging suspicion that he's not properly well-rounded. And he's going to fight a bad game plan. Just like Edmund Shabazian, who recently left the gym, at least went to Vegas, and as a result got a win. They're not fighting to the best of their abilities, and they're very one-dimensional with their approach. With Josh Kulabau, I don't like this guy. Truthfully, I, I don't like this guy. He's got a lot of good stuff going for him. He's able to mix in his game. I guess Charles Jordan, you know, Jordan's a better striker on paper. Kulabau mixes it up with him. He's got heavy hands. He rocks Jordan, which you hardly ever see. And he also takes Jordan down. Decent enough. His fight with Sungwoo Choi, I thought he lost, to be honest with you. I thought he lost the fight. But he rocks Sungwoo Choi. He shows off that big power again. If this is a straight striking battle, I would give the edge to Melstick. But if it's a striking battle that you're going to have to go a hard 15 with them, I don't know that Melsic's going to go a hard 15. Whereas I, I think Josh Kulabau is going to be able to persevere, move forward, mix it in. And then it's his wrestling. His wrestling's not very good, but his wrestling for MMA is decent. He does a good job of backing you to the cage, dropping to the hips. He's another guy that, again, I think I would have written him off. And the way that you even, not, not, I don't think you're writing him off either, but we've kind of always laughed at this guy a little bit. He's still super young, man. He's only 28 years old. Yeah, he got smoked by Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner's the GOAT. He had a draw against Charles Jourdain. All right, pretty decent. His next two fights, he, he works through it. Their decisions are 15 minutes. He's going to be able to fight me for the 15 minutes. He's going to mix in some wrestling with his striking. He's got good power that maybe he can keep um, Melsic Begasarian honest. And then if it goes to the judges, I feel like he's going to have the crowd on his side. He's going to have a good chance to, to grab a decision. But that's if I was getting plus money on him. I'd like even money status. I just don't even want to bet this fight at all. I got no interest on this fight. I'm not betting Josh Gould about even money. And with Melsic, the layoff, the questions, I just don't really have an interest in betting him either. I think he could be good, but I just don't think it's enough for me to bet it. Like the striking, I thought Evan Shabazian could be good. Maybe will be good. Needed to leave. Needed to go to different places. Needed to change his confines. Melsic, the injuries... 31 years old. 
I don't know, man. I think cool about springs what I would say was the upset, but it's even money. So we just springs the win, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm going to pick Melsic just based on the fact that if this fight does go 15 minutes, I think it's like close to like minus 200, um, to like the over two and a half. So, you know, the, the bookmakers are expecting this fight to go deep, at least into the fight. My biggest problem with Josh Kulabau is, is volume, man. It's, uh, you know, split decision loss, which is against Charles Rodin. That's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination, but 14 or 46 significant strikes uh, against Shailen Nurebeke. He got to 53. Kulabau got uh, 51. So our Kulabau versus Choi got to 51. Uh, Melsic on the contender series was able to get 102 in his last fight out. Got to like 70, yeah, 75 against Bruno Souza. Wasn't exactly a very impressive performance. I think he has a little bit more of a complex striking game. Um, I don't really rate either one of these guys in terms of wrestling. Uh, maybe one guy has a massive edge, and that's why I'm like completely staying away from this fight from a betting perspective. But um, if this fight turns into a 15-minute stand-up fight, I'll ever so slightly lean towards Melsic Bagdasarian. But yeah, it won't be getting my money. Moving on down, we've got Clayton Rodriguez taking on Shannon Ross. Minus 320 Rodriguez, plus 270 for the Aussie Shannon Ross. Who you got here, bud? Yeah, so again, almost like a tad bit tempted to pull the trigger on Shannon Ross as plus money because I just think it's too much plus money, right? It's very tempting. But Paul Shawnsky told me one time many moons ago, you don't let friends bet on people who have lost a – ask can mark terry and so mm-hmm. shannon ross is just instantly off the table and that actually paid off quite well when he was a minus 240 favorite on the contender series against venicia salvador and lost based on the advice paul said don't do it lost to ask Mokhtarian. i agree all jokes aside though and that's not a joke it actually did happen shannon ross like had a mid-level regional scene career like he fought in australia for a long time he's 33 years old okay he spent a lot of time down under fighting on the regional scene with mixed results can box, can put pressure on, durability bit of a question, grappling not great, wrestling okay, grappling not great, uh, but a fun all-action kind of guy. So he gets on the contender series, this is his time to shine, they gave him what seemed like a favorable matchup, he's a minus 240, minus 250 favorite, and uh, he got dropped three times, man, like everything that, that was thrown his way hit him, and everything that hit him floored him down to the ground. So durability, a massive issue, level of competition, a massive issue, now you're, now you're on the big scene, and Big favorite, didn't necessarily get to show the best of his abilities. The thing with Vinicius is that, or sorry, Clayton Rodriguez is his opponent. Clayton kind of looks like a deer in the headlights sometimes. Like, I was sold on this kid. I thought, here's a legitimate flyweight prospect that is eventually going to work his way into top 10 in the division. 26 years old, 25, 26 years old at the time. Wins on the contender series against uh, Santo Curatolo. Looked really good. Debuts against CJ Vergara as a minus 360 favorite. And yours truly, of course. Has him on a bunch of parlays. He's a big favorite. I think he looks the part. I think he's going to go beat CJ Vergara. I, I, I truthfully did think he won the fight. And if you go on like MMA decisions, most people agree that he probably won the fight. But mm-hmm. he didn't look good, man. He got backed up a lot. It, 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 everything looked like it was reactionary. He was waiting for CJ to go. Wait, wait for him to go first and then look in a counter. But his counters are super wild and loopy. On the contender series against Santo, he throws up great numbers. He gets a couple take or he gets taken down a few times. Against CJ, he got a couple takedowns. He landed some big volume, but he seemed very unhesitant, almost like he fights to the level of his opponent. And that's gonna make him dangerous if he's gonna be a big favorite. Against Shannon Ross, he's got the volume, but so does Ross. 
And Clayton Rodriguez's takedown defense, not great. Ross maybe be able to go out there and exploit it a little bit. But at the end of the day, I just don't think Ross has got the durability. Like, I think if they're going to get into a gunfight, he's going to get clipped. If he gets clipped, not going to be good. If it ends up on the ground for a prolonged period of time, Rodriguez probably a better... Listen, if it's Ross on top, I'm going to favor Ross, right? Hold him down, ground and pound him, stay out of harm's way. I don't think Rodriguez is good enough off his back to latch onto a submission. But if it's uh, rolls reversed and it's Clayton on top, yeah, Ross is not going anywhere. He's either going to try to inch his way back up and give up his back, give up his neck, or he's just going to get hammered in the process of trying to get back up to his feet and the fight will go with Rodriguez. So the one thing though is one I've learned on Clayton Rodriguez losing to Varguera at uh, minus 360 that like, this is not a top ticket guy. He's got a long ways to go. He's not even a second ticket guy. And at minus 240, they're trying to get you to bet on him again, but I think it's a little bit of buyer beware. The other thing is, and you know this better than anybody, because you know we've learned this lesson many times over, the women's MMA fights, super unpredictable, plus money's always live. And then it's heavyweight, middling heavyweights, and flyweights. Flyweights, you can't get a great read on it because there's so much going on, right? And the heavyweights, you can't get a great read on it because are they going to gas? Is it going to be a one-punch knockout type fight or a 15-minute, you know, drawn out both guys are curled over type fight? They're hard to get a good, good read on. And for this, minus 240 after just getting burned at minus 360, not a, not a ton of interest to jump two feet into it. Yeah, no, like watching the the Shannon Ross fight against Vinci Salvador back, it's just like I'm not backing this guy. I I don't really know if I don't really know if Vinci Salvador is like a power puncher by any stretch of the imagination. And unfortunately, it's funny that like Vinci Salvador beats him on Contender Series, gets booked for two fights, and then Shannon Ross, the guy that he beats, ends up on this card because we're in Australia and they're looking for for warm bodies, right? Like that's that's. Facts are facts. Um, but yeah, he did not look great. He was getting absolutely just, you know, the s- significant strike count is relatively close, but like who was landing the big boy shots? It, like it was very, very clear from like the opening bell, um, you know, that they had the wrong fighter favored in that spot. Clayton did not look great against CJ G- Vergara last time out. I think his grappling is definitely a work in progress still, but. Um, I'm going to side with youth here. Minus 320 is way too heavy of a price for me to pay, especially if this fight goes to 15 minutes and say the strike count is relatively close. We're in Australia. we got the local guy. Um, All a roundabout way of saying I'm going to pick Rodriguez, but at minus 320, I can't really get on board. The only thing that may be somewhat interesting is like the under here. Like, getting dropped that many times by Vincia Salvador, like, maybe Shannon Ross's durability is really, really shaky at best. Uh, Prize picks, uh, promo code DOP, they've got 14.75 minutes. Um, I don't think that's a bad look. I haven't added that to any of my tickets yet, but uh, that's not a bad little spot, potentially. Um, And fight doesn't go to decision. That's... At minus 145, minus 135. Under two and a half rounds is like I had a straight pick them in some spots right now. That's something I'm going to mull over, consider. I'll watch weigh-ins before I jump in because it doesn't seem like the market's really like pushing that way too hard. I don't think I have to rush into it. But like getting dropped three times by Vince Salvador last time out is enough to for me to think, hey, you know what? Maybe an under could be in play in this flyweight contest moving on down we got jamie malarkey taking on francisco prado malarkey a minus 270 favor prado can be had for plus 230 who you got here 
gotta go with Jamie cut the malarkey but again it's just like the kind of price tag you don't overly want to pay but yeah I think he's got a mo gun pretty much everywhere uh when you look at Francisco Prado he's 11 to 0 very impressive he's finished all 11 wins inside the distance again very impressive and he's tw- 20 years old right yeah 20 years old all great stuff one a little bit young but it's it, it's who has he fought where where has he been right and so immediately when I saw Samurai Fight House I was like oh no People remember Samurai Fight House from every Eileen Perez. She debuted in the UFC against mm-hmm. Stephanie Egger. And then like the video was like them basically at a gym in front of a storefront window, uh, getting some rounds in. It was like very, very low level. And of course they don't always fight in the same venue, but if you watch back some of his regional show tape, he fights in some strange, strange places, uh, some strange circumstances and doesn't always look good, man. Take some damage. Some of these fights, he's actually got to come back from some adversity and take over. The, the good thing for him is that these guys he's fighting have no cardio, no endurance. So sometimes he'll have to weather that storm early, but eventually he takes them down. And once he does take them down, they're overmatching, takes them out. On paper, the records look good. His last win, the guy was 13 and three. You go and you look at that 13 and three. Oh, it can crash. It's all can crash. This guy that's six and no, oh, he's no good. Adrian Prone, he's no good. Okay. He's like, no good. Looks good on paper. But at the end of the day, like it leaves a lot to the imagination. And in his case, there's a lot left to the imagination. What's his cardio like uh, if it's got to go a hard 15? Well, I mean, he usually is the guy that's coming from behind. He's usually the guy that's you know able to break his opponents down physically. So maybe he's got decent cardio. But this is different levels. He's on a UFC pay-per-view. Not the main card, but all the same. It's a UFC pay-per-view. It's a big spotlight. It's his UFC debut. He's had no like real, real experience. He's not had to face that major adversity and have to make comebacks from it. So I think he's got issues. His takedown defense, not very good, man. Not very good. His striking, not all that good. Volume, not great. He's tough. He's rugged. He's obviously fighting to better his life, and that makes him a dangerous man. But Jamie Malarkey figures to have him be pretty much everywhere. Like, Malarkey can scrap. I know people don't want to hear it. He's not the biggest fan favorite going, but... Uh, the guy's tough. He comes at you. He's very awkward with his footwork, almost flat-footed, not the best athlete, a little bit plodding, and he's a little bit slow. But outside of that, if you don't put him away, he's going to stay in the pocket. He's going to grind you back. He's going to push you. He's going to try to complete takedowns, and I figure that's where he's at his best. If you look at his run in the UFC, they haven't really done him any favors. Debut against Brad Riddell in a competitive-ish decision. Fight with Faraz Iam. I thought he won. I don't know how they scored that Faraz Iam, but, you know, good, tough fight. I thought he won. Smokes Commonworthy, smokes Devontae Smith, loses to Jalen Turner, who might be breakout star of 2023. Like, the kid's coming, extremely talented. And then his last time out, very interesting fight with Michael Johnson. Argument that he lost. Argument that he won. He got dropped early. He perseveres. He sticks with it. He ends up hurting Michael Johnson right in return. Has some good groundwork. Uh, sticks the course over 15. Blue-collar type performance, which you can always expect out of the guy. And realistically, Michael Johnson kind of on a second career comeback right now. He's kind of putting in some good fights recently. So Malarkey's capable of operating at a high level, but he's one of these blue collar, needs a few minutes to get going, maybe needs a round to get going. And in the in-between is going to be a, a butt clencher because he, he might get clipped. He could get hurt. He could get, you know, toppled over. The opponent's generally a little bit faster than him. Now he's taking on this 20-year-old kid with a 100% uh, knock or finish rate, I should say who's you know, undefeated 11-0, if the kid brings the heat early, maybe he clips him. But outside of that, Malarkey will break him down and have his way, whether it be the kickboxing, whether it be the inside distance, you know, elbows from the inside, or what I think is more likely, complete those takedowns, sap his cardio, put a, put a good beating on him from the, from the top position and uh, force a stoppage. 
Yeah, I saw a lot of the same things that you did. I watched some of those uh, regional fights that he had, and yeah, he was taking some shots early to uh, to to get it in. Yeah, twenty years old, like he could have some potential down the line, but this is you know short notice uh, on the other side of the world against a proven veteran at this point in Jamie Malarkey. I think it's too much too soon. Uh, props to Prado for taking this uh, taking this spot, taking this fight. But uh, I really, I really think that like he could use some more seasoning. You know, go rather than go from straight from Samurai Fight House to the UFC. It's like back in the day they used to go from, you know, Samurai Fight House to like LFA or RFA or like one of these other regional promotions where it's like, you know, they get to fight guys that aren't quite ready for the pros, but uh, but show some promise. It's like getting the jump from that level of promotion all the way up to here. I think he's in for a rude awakening when he uh, when he when he takes on Jamie Malarkey in front of a large crowd in Perth, Australia. So I'm with you, Malarkey. The only thing that's always a struggle with a lot of these, you know, these lower level uh, prospects coming in with undefeated records, it's like we don't really know how durable this kid is, right? He hasn't been proven. He hasn't been hasn't been tested. So it's like it's really hard chasing. Props on, you know, is Malarkey going to finish him inside the distance? Uh, what are his inside the distance props anyway? Uh, Malarkey inside the distance is like close to a pick him. Yeah, see, it's like it's kind of a coin toss. I don't think the books really know. I don't really know as someone who's watched a bunch of Malarkey fights and watched uh, a few of these Prado fights. It's like it's really, really tough to know. Like maybe this kid's got like crazy, crazy durability and this goes the full 15. So, uh, it's probably mostly a stay away, a fight. I'm going to be very, very interested in live. Cause I expect this Prado kid to come out early and then, you know, weather the early storm malarkey you may be able to snap up a better number. If he doesn't like land a takedown immediately out of the gate, which is definitely in play too. But yeah, malarkey's the pick. Not too excited about minus 270, but you know me. I'm never really excited about laying a big-time chalk. Uh, moving on down, we got Jack Jenkins taking on Don Shinus. Uh Jack Jenkins, a minus 335 favorite. Shinus can be had for plus 270. Jack Jenkins on the Contender Series. Pretty good fight there. Um, I, I liked a lot of the, what I saw. Just high, high level of pressure. Striking, I'm not sure is all there, but like entries to his takedowns are good, and the guy is... Pressure, 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 and the cardio does not seem to be a problem whatsoever. Shyness, on the other hand, I mean, getting standing guillotine in 30 seconds against Sadiq Yusuf is uh, is a pretty bad look. It's really hard to get on board uh, with him. Minus 335 is a massive number. Jenkins doesn't really strike me as a as a finisher by any stretch of the imagination, so I took a little bit of the takedowns over two. On prize picks, hopefully, and that's mostly dependent on Shyness being able to stick around and stay in this fight a little bit. Because I feel like when he's on his back, Jenkins is going to be able to hold him down there and, and control positions. Um, but yeah, I, I play, I sprinkled that a little bit um, with some other fights that we'll talk about down the line here. I think Jack Jenkins wins, likely inside the distance. It really comes down to how long can can Shyness. Uh, hang around uh, in this fight uh, as far as I see it so Jenkins maybe I'll maybe I'll have a look at some of like the later props or something like that like around two around three finish that's how I would cap this fight what about you bud yeah I'm gonna agree like Don Shanus uh 
I think I think he needs to just catch magic in the first round. He needs to latch on to something. Either he catches him with a quick little knockout or probably more likely catches him with a knockout. Submission game really isn't all that isn't all that good. But he's one of these tough Boston strong, willing to come forward, willing to engage, decent, decent power in his hands. Maybe he's able to go there and catch with something early. But outside of that, I just I just don't really see it fully for his game. Uh in his debut against Sodi Yusuf, tough task, UFC debut, top ten guy. Very, very difficult. But he just didn't even look relatively competitive. He wasn't in it at all. He His way of getting out of the tie clinch was to just rip the body with hooks. Meanwhile, Sodi Yusef was ripping him to the face with knees. Which one do you think? Sorry, ripping him to the body with knees. Which one's going to work? Knees of the body. He got cooked, shot into a takedown. He got submitted, didn't show his best work. On the regional scene, he's beating a couple decent guys, but it's mixing it up, right? He stays in that in-between range, okay? He's got some decent hands. He'll stay aggressive, stay in the pocket. I don't think he's a great athlete. But I think he's a guy with the proper game plan, can work through some bad spots and eventually get the win. But he was at Glory MMA and Fitness with James Krause. And he's no longer there. He had to go back home, chain with Joe Lozon, I think, a little bit. I don't know that you're going to get the absolute best version of him with the best game plan. I think he's probably just going to go chasing him, trying to land that big kill shot. Jack Jenkins, meanwhile, I think he's got beat. Stand up, he's a little bit slow to get started. But I think that's because for internal MMA, he was booked in a lot of five-round fights. So I, I think he's looking to take his time and pace himself. But he's got an excellent jab, excellent leg kicks. And the guy that the longer the fight goes, starts to add it up. Of course, he's got the wrestling. Wrestling seems to be solid. Pace seems to be solid. Ground and pound seems to be okay. The numbers aren't quite there. And you saw that on the Contender Series. Four takedowns. Only 52 significant strikes landed late in that third round before he forced the stoppage. But you'll also see on his on his show that he's gone five rounds. Uh, you can watch the fight back. Rod Cost, a five and three fighter, he fights him for five rounds, right? So on one hand, I don't think he's a finisher. I think you try to get him by decision. On the other hand, Shanus's game plan is to go and force the hand early and try to mix it up early. If Shanus starts to fatigue, I don't think that's going to be an issue. The other way for Jack Jenkins, I think that if if it's a trepid first round, let's say, or sorry, it's a hectic first round, and all of a sudden you see Shayna start to tire, Jenkins is going to be right in his element. He'll get the takedowns, he'll land that jab, he'll land those leg kicks, he'll soften him up, maybe force something. So Jack Jenkins seems like, again, I think he's like 29, maybe 30 years old. I think he's 30 years old. He's not exactly like a prospect. He's not exactly a young guy, but he's talented. He's got skills. He's already a little more advanced than your regular guy. So he needs to beat Don Shanus and then jump into some bigger fights and get his career moving. But this is the perfect first fight for him in the UFC. All right, we got Loma Luke Bumi taking on Elise Reed. Minus 285 for Loma Luke Bumi, plus 240 for Elise Reed. I think uh, Loma should absolutely roll here. In a lot of her fights where she has a grappling advantage, she's really landed takedowns and kind of landed takedowns at will. Um I know I'm not going to get uh, fooled by Elise Reed, you know, getting three takedowns last time against Melissa, uh, Melissa Martinez, who was like a kickboxer. Didn't really see that coming from uh, Reed, who's obviously been working on her wrestling, but like Loma, you know, four takedowns against Denise Gomez kind of just takes her opponents out of the fight. Obviously against Loopy, it was, you know, the reverse. It's like, if she doesn't have a grappling advantage, she can be taken down. Um, and then uh, Loma took down Sam Hughes, Sam Page four times, who in turn took down Elise Reed four times. So it's like, I think Loma should be able to, you know, pressure forward. She's definitely got, she could win this fight on the feet by, by uh, no questions asked. But I feel like in the two takedowns on, on prize picks, uh, I like that to the over. 
And I feel like she can kind of wear this fight down, uh, ride top position, and probably probably win by decision uh, over the course of 15 minutes. Uh, don't have any bets on it, but Loma will be my pick. What about you? Yeah, I think Pat Mayo could sway me into an Elise Reed pick, but uh, because I'm not here to get persuaded by him, got to go with my brain and my heart. I think Loma Lukume, much of the reasons you're saying. I think in terms of striking, you got Taekwondo and Elise Reed, Taekwondo black belt versus that traditional Muay Thai of Loma Luke Bume. And I would favor Loma Luke Bume. She has those leg kicks going, slows Reed down. She's only got a 61-inch reach on her, giving up two inches in the reach department, but again, doesn't have a big reach in general. So her boxing, not all that good, but her ability to fight in the clinch and utilize a lot of short elbows and short knees, she can just get Elise Reed up against the cage and really wear on her, really just, you know, sap <clears throat> the energy out of her. It was, sorry. <laughs> My bad. Canadian winter. You got to get sick around here. <clears throat> but just really sap the energy out of her, right? Take it out of her. It'll pay dividends down the stretch. And then Loma Luke Bume, yes, a Muay Thai fighter. Not known for her wrestling in the slightest bit. But the Hickman brothers have spent a lot of time with this girl over at originally Tiger Muay Thai, now Bang Tao. But her grappling's gotten a lot better. Her wrestling's gotten a lot better. If they throw her in there against big, heavy, strong wrestlers, she's going to get dominated. If they throw in her with girls that maybe have some lackluster takedown defense, she's going to be in it. And the greatest thing about her is that she fights naturally best as a striker, not at range, not, not with these rangy strikes from the outside. She fights at best in the clinch anyway. So what they've been able to do is mix in her ability to fight close range, mix in those short elbows, mix in those short knees, but then go for the trip, go for the takedown, back up your opponent. Volume's not great. Submission game's pretty much non-existent. But I think her ability to mix in those those short distance strikes is going to make the difference. Because at least read her Taekwondo block belt. And of course, when you see her have her most success, it's when she's able to utilize the long range. State of the outside. This is a pay-per-view. Big cage. Big arena. She'll have lots of space to operate with. She's going to land shots. But I think at some point, Loma Lukuma is able to close that distance, get a hold of her, and uh, kind of grind away, get those takedowns. It's like, it's come out with a victory. But... You could probably tell at this point in the show, it's like, well, what dogs do you actually like? Like, which dogs would you pull the trigger on? And even though I'm kind of on the fence with a couple of them, uh, same thing here. I'm going to take Loma Luke Bume. I feel like Elise Reed looks like one of the decent underdogs on this card. If you had to gun to your head, pick some underdogs. Yeah, that's fair. That's why, like, I took the takedowns to the over on prize picks. But it's like at minus 285, I just don't really feel like there's too much meat on the bone for an actual wager on Loma Luke Bume. Um, well, you, can I actually, yeah, sorry, you could go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, factoring in MMA judging, which is all over the place sometimes. Like, if it's anything remotely close, it's like you don't want to be holding a minus 300 Loma ticket. Like, that's that that would be my biggest concern. Yeah, that 100% it. And if you look at the success that we had last week on Bellator underdogs, let's say, well, there's two things that you got to factor in. One, it's Bellator card. No one really cares, right? There's a UFC card on already. And if they did care about the Bellator, they probably care about the Fedor fight or maybe some of the higher profile ones on there. But there was a ton of gems on the undercard that most people don't have time to look at. They're tape studying the next UFC. They're tape studying something else. They're doing something else with their Saturday night instead of watching fights. Whatever they're doing, they fall through the cracks. Now, can we be like, what's up? We kick ass. Maybe Lorenz Larkin. That was the only one. The other ones were greasy split decisions, bro. Like, mm-hmm. like we Jalen Bates got a greasy split decision, but he's plus 285, so it looked pretty good, you know? Uh, what was his face? He beat Carl Albrecht's in a terrible fight. <laughs> Such Grant a bad Neal. fight. 
Yeah, yeah, Grant Neal, such a bad fight. Uh, he's plus money. They're split decisions. They're close. They're competitive. But because you're holding the plus money ticket, it's good. This is a UFC card. It's a UFC pay-per-view. The lines have been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. They have been steamed. The value is gone. The fights that you do like are all now minus 270, minus 300. They're in that range. The fights that you're kind of like, oh, I usually wouldn't touch that with the 10-foot pole. The fights that you're now like, maybe there's some value there. So just, yeah, play it smart. Play the fights that you do like, the top four, top six. I the feel- rest of it, just have some fun, right? They're, they're lottery ticket parlays. Yeah. I feel seen. I feel seen by your last comment there. Me and my Alonzo Menafield ticket. It's just like, do you think I... Yeah, we get into round two with Alonzo Menafield just like gassing around, hardly able to hold his arms up to even throw punches. Like, that's that's kind of the, you know, the state. If you're not getting in on, on some lines earlier in the week or even, honestly, these lines get steamed right out of the gate these days. Different, it's a totally different... Uh, you know, world that we're living in, in terms of the world of MMA betting these days. Um, you know, there's half decent limits, a lot of legal books that are taking half decent limits. So it's like people are getting on a lot of these lines two weeks, three weeks, a month in advance these days. So it's like by the time we get to it on Wednesday of fight week, it's a little bit trickier. But I mean, we say all of that and then you go, well, Devin Clark last week on the UFC card was a plus 240 underdog. And, that was a missed opportunity. And man. That, was they a good, him up that was a good and bet. Didn't. Uh, I, that was that was me not having the cojones. But Same yeah, thing. he did what he was like, he did what he was capable of doing. The tough thing about betting is that you're betting on like what version of them show up. Mm-hmm. The one that can win this fight with his skill set, or the one that kind of flunks around, which is what you see on TV. It's a it's a fifty fifty proposition. But as soon as the fight started, well, not as soon as it started, like. Two and a half minutes into the first round, I was like, son of a bitch. That plus money is gone. Is gone. And yeah, he looked, he looked, he did exactly what he needed to do. I think I grabbed some fight goes to decision after round one, which was pretty close to a pick which was sh- shocking to me. I was like, well, if he didn't get outed in this first round, like I feel like he's hanging on now at this point. So that was not so bad. It cut into some, some more of my losses from last weekend. Uh, we got Shane Young taking on Blake Builder. Shane Young, a minus one thirty-five favorite. Builder can be had for plus one fifteen. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, I'm thinking fight doesn't go the distance is probably the best way to attack it. This Blake Builder guy just seems like he's there to kill you, or in the process of killing you, get killed himself. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty violent fight all around. I will go with the underdog here, plus one fifteen. Nothing, nothing sexy here on Blake Builder, but. I got it's a dogger pass type situation. Shane Young hasn't exactly had the most success kind of at a high level. Um, debuts in the UFC against Alexander Volkanovsky, toughest fight going, and actually goes to decision with him. But outside of that, he beats a Rolando D. No success in the UFC, Filipino boxer, released from the UFC, 50-50 fighter on the Filipino kind of brave CF regional scene right now. Not a, not a quality win. His fight with Austin Arnett, I thought he looked good in that fight. But again, you're dealing with an Austin Arnett that never won a fight in the UFC, quickly fanned out, hasn't done anything since. So can he win against those lower-level guys? Yeah. Was he winning against lower-level guys in the regional scene? Yeah. But that jump up in competition seems to elude him. So his fight with Ludovic Klein, you're seeing actual talent jump, actual talented guy. And Ludovic Klein has smoked some out there. Easy head kick, um, something he was known for on the regional scene, but hasn't been able to do at the UFC level able to do to Shane Young because Shane Young not quite that caliber I know UFC caliber not a thing anymore 
Shane Young's not really, I don't think, going to jump over to that barricade of top 25 guys, let's say. It's not the quick knockout to Ludovic Klein, though, right? Talented fighter, great head kick on him. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a pass on that. It's the fight with Omar Morales, where he just looks very disinterested. He's not looking to engage him. He's easily getting muscled around. I didn't see the physicality. I didn't see the output. I didn't see his willing to, willingness to throw combinations. He just looked uncomfortable. Now he is training with Alexander Volkanovsky, former opponent, now a training partner. I'm sure he's in great shape. I'm sure love the crowd behind him. But it's like, I can only judge him based on what we've seen recently. And it didn't look good. The Klein fight, he gets quickly knocked out. The Omar Morales fight, it's a full 15 minutes of just him unwilling to kind of just do what's necessary to try to pull ahead in this fight. That fight was two years ago. So he's still only 29. Maybe he's made miraculous improvements. Maybe he's a much better fighter. But again, I just got to judge him based on what I've seen. I love going with a good narrative. I love going with a nice greasy theory. But Young didn't show me anything before he left to really lead me to believe that he was an elite-level talent. I don't quite see it. Blake Builder, meanwhile, man, he's a work in progress for sure. But the guy's a wild man. Like, he's a strong, physical guy, strong athlete. If you want to go punchy-kicky with him, it's going to be a problem. Undefeated 7-0 as an amateur. Some decent enough wins there. As a pro, much of the same. I mean, he generally knocks you out or tires out in the process. Now, his fight with this Frank Buenafente on CFFC, he, he gets dropped twice in the first round. His chin does not look good. But he gets back up, rises to the occasion, submits him in the second round. Buenafente took the fight on one day's notice. Not impressive, but you know he overcomes some adversity early. His fight with Reginaldo Carvalho is not very good. Same thing, man. Like He gets hurt early. It's just when you don't knock him out early, he's going to keep coming at you, and his power looks pretty decent. His fight with Alex Morgan on the Contender Series, easy money. Like Alex Morgan just can't quite stand up to him, but you saw his explosiveness, great athleticism, uh, able to land that big shot and hurt Morgan. And the second Morgan hit the deck from being hurt from the shot, he uh, immediately just scoops up to the back, right? Mm-hmm. It's an easy transition, two hooks in, grabs the rear naked choke, chokes him unconscious. Dana White says, <laughs> the most ridiculous quote you'll hear, we're not looking for 32-year-olds, which seems extremely young, but all, all the same, not looking for 32-year-olds. But yeah, this guy can go. So why is he 32 and just making his debut now? Like he's only got he's got less than 10 pro fights. But it's because he, he, yeah, I don't know, just never rushed himself. Had a long amateur career. Took his time as a pro. Slowly built up and got there. But now at age 32, I feel like he's decent enough. So again, good athleticism, strong striking, and his, uh, his ability to, to kind of Keep the pace going and go that 15 minutes now. So how does he match up with Shane Young? Well, I think he's got a power advantage over Young. If Young wants to stand in the pocket with him, Blake Builder connects, it's not going to be a good time. You've seen Young get hurt before. You've seen him get compromised. I can see I can see him getting beat in the pocket. But if he does, what's he going to do? Take Blake Builder down? Like I, I don't know that that's the path either. Builder's a little better wrestler, better on the ground, got some power standing. He's plus 115. I get it's a UFC debut. You know, I get it's in enemy territory. Young's been off for two years. He didn't look great prior to that. Physicality seemed to be an issue. It's going to be an issue against Builder. Give me the underdog. Yeah, I agree pretty much with everything you said there. The one thing I will say, Price Picks has one and a half takedowns for Shane Young, who has never got more than one takedown in any fight. I mean, he was taken down twice by Omar Morales, so I don't really understand why he's priced like a wrestler uh, on there. So that's, you know, Luke, Luke Boonmi over two takedowns builder uh under or sorry sorry young under uh 1.5 takedowns jenkins over two takedowns um and then like they have something for uh the super bowl it's like patrick mahomes 
uh, over one or over 0. 0.5 uh passing yards so it's basically a free square that's only for 25 bucks but uh those are kind of the the angles i like on prize picks i'm gonna add actually the the fight doesn't go to decision i see a minus 125 out there so i'm gonna add that to my card this week uh i'm on board with you i've never really been been all that impressed by shane young and like the longer that we kind of go about it maybe maybe this is where he kind of turns the tide but uh i guess we'll find out on saturday um builder was uh, he looks like an actual absolute wrecking ball from from the tape I have watched from him. So, hoping it's a high high volatility, high uh, crazy fight. And yeah, the under two and a half or fight doesn't go to decision seems like a good look to me. And finally, we got Zuby Tuhugov taking on Elvis Brenner, minus six hundred for Tuhugov, plus four hundred for Brenner. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, well, again, it's just another spot where the line has gone. Uh, Zuber Duhugov, very, very talented. Unfortunately, doesn't fight like all that talented of a guy. His wrestling is top-notch. He's a guy out of Chechnya. You know, he had the Dagestan relation. One of the first guys to go over to Tiger Muay Thai uh, has that wrestling and just added some very nice kickboxing. Fast hands, decent power. Him at his best, good. Can go 15 minutes. Cast iron durability on the guy. But he, he's not willing to do that extra yard. He's not willing to do that that extra 10% that needs be. And as a result, a lot of his fights are super close, man. Um, you look at his last time out against Ramos, competitive decision. Before that, lost to Kim Duwadu. Landed 35 significant strikes over 15 against Duwadu. Stood there, stared at him, didn't engage him. Very bad performance. Was the favorite in Abu Dhabi. Could be even his corner. Still just didn't do anything, right? So it's hard to trust him. Now you're telling me he's minus 600. I don't like it. His fight with Lerone Murphy. Split draw. Yeah, he's lucky he got a 10-8 in the first because after that, nothing to his game. No substance. His fight with Moicano. Split decision. His fight with Felipe Nover. Yes, male nurse Felipe Nover from the Ultimate Fighter. Split decision. Zubair Tuhugov landed 21 significant strikes. Super low volume. He's not really engaging. So... He's prone to getting into these split decisions. He's prone to getting into these close fights. At minus 600, like, I don't want a close fight. Here's another thing that could be good, could be bad. So if you look at Zubair Tuhugov, he fights at 145 pounds. But does he fight at 145 pounds? Because he basically struggles to make weight every time out. He made 150 for that fight with Akeem Dewadu, which he proceeded to throw zero strikes in afterwards. So you know he just had a bad weight cut. He's generally struggled in the past with making weight. And then on Tapology, which is my go-to website, it's listed at 145. But on the UFC's website, it's lifted, listed at 55. And mm-hmm. on UFC's like, stats, like whatever, if I metric, also listed at 155. And I get a feeling this fight's at 155. So on one hand, am I going to get like a good Zubair Tuhugov who didn't have a bad weight cut, who's more energized? 55 was the class for him. Or am I going to get an undersized Zubair Tuhugov who didn't have to cut no weight, who's not going to be any better than he used to be, who still does nothing but just kind of go through the motions against like a, a big, strong Brazilian guy. It's basically his Super Bowl. He's fighting in the UFC for the first time. Who, who's going to want it and go for it. And uh, with Brazilians, it's hard to re- re- like gauge their regional show record because they'll fight random guys with bad records and then they'll prop up in the UFC or contender series and they're like, they're bad, bad people. They're, they're tough, tough guys. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, but Lerone Murphy, it was his UFC debut. 
Zubair Duhuga was a minus 315 favorite over him and barely squeaked it out. You know, he's a favorite over Akeem Dawadu. He loses the fight. He's a big favorite over Ramos. I thought he looked better in that fight. But again, he, if he's not going to realize his actual potential, he's going to leave these fights close to competitive. One knockout victory in the UFC, everything else goes to decision. So if it's a decision and it's close to competitive, I just wouldn't want him at minus 600. That's like the bottom line. He's the, like the biggest favorite on the card. Would you put this guy on your, he's your number one top ticket, easiest path to the victory, Zubair Tehugov, that, that's that's who we're going with? That's who we're bet up to minus 600? No, bro, that's asinine. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what it's currently at. So we're, on, we're it's a pick show. We got to make picks. The pick would be Zubair Tehugov. Do I agree with the price tag? No. Unfortunately, I'm a PRP player, so I'm going to have, even if it's a $2 PRP, every fight on the card. And every fight on the card would include Zubair Tehugov. But again, I think the line is indicative of he's going to go out there and smash. And it's possible, right? He's got all the skills in the world. Extremely talented. Very good fighter. You just haven't really seen the best of him yet. And he's been fighting in the UFC for... Nine years. Nine years he's been in the UFC. And uh, what, what what was his best performance? I guess Kevin Aguilar, he sparked him. Outside of that, you ever had like a performance that jumps to mind? Where you were like, damn, dude, Zubair Duhuga, badass. Oh, he jumped the cage and punched McGregor in the face. I guess that was pretty key. Didn't lose his job over it. That was really key because everybody else would be off the roster. So shout out to the Russian connection. But that is 600, bro. Like this should be a route. And I bet you it's probably going to decision. So that that's what makes me nervous. I mean, the, the the price opened at minus 500, so it actually hasn't moved all that much. We had Zuby. Zuby was supposed to take on Joel Alvarez, which would have been Alvarez probably the I'll slight fight. favorite there, and that would have been a real banger of a fight. I mean, the, the the I watched a few of Elvis Brenner's fights, and like the guys getting like reversed against guys on the regional on the regional scene um, in Brazil. Not overly impressive by any stretch of the imagination. Like, he's got half-decent grappling, half-decent submission skills. I believe Charles Oliveira is going to be in his corner. He's obviously only 25. There's room for improvement there. But it's like I saw a lot of gaps in his game. That's like if Zuby just takes him down and hangs out in his guard, I really don't think he's going to, you know, get caught in anything. And I really don't think he's going to um end up in any sort of trouble but then yeah i mean at minus 600 what do you really do with the line um i think zuby should be able to take him down hold him down there um and just you know lay lay and pray throw a little bit of ground and pound win the fight that way the one thing i will say about brenner is that he does seem to be pretty durable i've seen him take some tap decent shots end up in some pretty bad positions and he and he fights out of it but yeah, massive, massive, massive step up for him um, in this spot. So I'll be picking D- Zuby Tehugov, but uh, yeah, I, I really don't know how how to approach it. Uh, maybe him inside the distance, but yeah, even that is like plus one fifty, plus one forty. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't have enough conviction on that play to really get involved in it, whether he wins by decision or inside the distance. So it's it's a straight up pass for me. Um, but yeah, Tehugov is the pick. Uh, bets for me this week, we've got, I'm going to, right as soon as we finish off this show, I'm going to take the uh, fight doesn't go to decision for Builder versus Young. You talked me into that one, and I see a lot of the same things as you. Um, I took Manafield at plus 180, and I've got Makachev inside the distance, um, uh, minus 110. 
Uh, that's probably really it for me this week. Like I, not much is really jumping off the page this week. I'm trying to be a, you know, you, you invest money into the likes of Jekka Saragi, who's acting like a clown right out of the gate. And you're like, you know what, maybe take a step back. Don't get too aggressive. Pick your spots a little bit more wisely. You don't have to have tons. You know, it's tough when we, when we do shows like this every single week, you feel the need to have like action every single week. But sometimes, you know, pulling it back, only taking the spots that you actually feel some sort of conviction about um, is better. At least it's better for my game because I'm about to throw it to Cody Saftik, who's going to hit you with the PRP. Here with the PRP, we're going with Islam Makachev, Yair Rodriguez, Jack Della, uh, Parker Porter, underdog number one, Jimmy Crute, Tyson Pedro, Josh Kulabau, technically speaking, dog number two, Clayton Rodriguez, Jamie Malarkey, Jack Jenkins, Loma Luke Bume, Blake Builder, dog number three, and Zubera Tuhugov. Uh, I think out of like the most confident, I would say that Jack Della, Jack Jenkins, Jamie Malarkey, and then if you're going to throw in Islam Makachev with there, those four, those three without Makachev, you're getting plus 125, I think, with Makachev on top of it. And you're getting some decent enough plus money, kind of in that plus 200-ish range. Not quite plus 200, but decent enough plus money to make it worth your while, I think. And then, yeah, as Paul said, I mean, after that, after that, you're kind of shooting. Although I do have an interesting parlay, if you're interested. It's uh, it's the Jays. It's the Jays here. We got... We got Jamie, Jim, Joshua, Jack, Justin, and Jack. And, uh, yeah, I think they all win. And that parlay pays uh, plus 1,100. Of course, you need Jamie Malarkey, Jim Crew, Joshua Kulabau, Jack Jenkins, Justin Tava, Jack Della Madalena. So I thought a you... whole lot of Js. I no, no, I know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I'm taking Parker Porter. I'm just saying <laughs> whole lot of J's, whole lot of J's on that one. There are a lot of J's. Uh, for whatever reason. I, yeah, they're Jamie, Jim, Josh. Jack, two Jacks, actually, and Justin. Jamie, Jim, Josh, Justin, Jack, Jack. Must be an Aussie thing. Naming uh, your kid yeah, with the J. Because yeah. they're yeah, all yeah. from that part of the world. That I did not notice that, but that's an, that's an interesting point. I had not considered that, Cody. Um, yeah, it should be an interest. I mean, the, the main event is really what sells this show, and then the co-main event is a really banger fight on any other given night, too. It's like, you know, that's... That's a fight night main event any day of the week. The The title that's on the line is kind of, you know, it's a number one contenders fight. And both of those guys have been ar- ar- around the block, have done some, you know, put on some really good shows for the fans. So, like, I'm happy for uh, Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett for getting this opportunity. But outside of that, yeah, we're looking at a Australian regional card. And, uh, you know, that's there's no other way about it. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.